Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words to us in the Bible and we pray now that as we reflect on them that you would help us to see the importance of them, uh, the sufficiency of them and the clarity of them that we might really uh, take you at your word, uh, that we might believe you and trust our lives to you uh, and receive your good words in the Bible by faith. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's probably fair to say, I think, that the Bible alone was not the high point of the Reformation. That is, if you were to say, what was the really amazing thing that came out of the Reformation, you probably wouldn't go to the Bible alone as the first port of call. If someone asked you, you'd probably go to something like Christ alone, you know, that we're saved uh, through the work of Christ done for us. Or you might pick uh, grace alone, that it's all about God's grace to us uh, as a free gift. Or you might pick uh, faith, you know, that it's not anything that we do. But uh, you're unlikely to say, well, you know, the great thing that came out of the Reformation was Scripture alone. Uh, and yet, despite that, I think, even though that's not the high point of the Reformation, I think in many ways it is the foundation of everything that happened uh, in that period of the Reformation. Uh, the Bible alone was a foundation that had to be laid in order for those other truths to be rediscovered and clarified. Uh, the doctrine of the Bible alone is an attempt to answer the question, how do we know God? Uh, and how do we know the gospel? How do we know the good news? How do we know what that actually is? Uh, and how do we know how to relate to God? And how do we know how to live for God? How do we know, where do we find the answers to those questions? Do we know God, for instance, through the mechanisms of the church, through the rituals of the church? Uh, or do we know God through our inner religious experience? Uh, or do we know God through reason and scientific endeavour? Do we know God through just sitting alone in our, in our uh, lounge rooms in a chair thinking about who we think that God is? How do we know God? How do we know uh, the gospel? Well, all those ideas, science, inner religious experience and the church, all those ideas were floating around at the time of the Reformation. But in contrast to all of those, the Reformers, uh, they said that, that they realised that the Bible's own claim about itself was that the Bible alone is sufficient uh, for life and faith. They realised that the Bible itself was the only sufficient rule uh, of life and faith. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is to think about uh, the Bible's own claims about itself in terms of its authority, in terms of its sufficiency, uh, and in terms of, of its clarity. Uh, we'll be anchored in that passage that we read from 2 Timothy uh, 3, but we're also going to kind of push to some other areas of, of the Bible as well. Well, really the central issue, I think, with respect to the Bible during the Reformation was that issue of authority. Uh, who or what are we to listen to in, uh, in, in seeking to know and understand God? Uh, for the Catholic Church of the day, the answer to that question was the church itself. The thing that you were supposed to listen to was the church. The church and its priests and its bishops were the ones, they were the ones who read the Bible, they were the ones who interpreted the Bible, and they were the ones who communicated their interpretation to the people. 
Uh, and their interpretation of the Bible was, in, was the authoritative interpretation. You couldn't disagree with what they said about the Bible. Not only that, but the tradition that the church had built up since the time of the early church period, uh, the tradition that they built up in terms of their procedures and their beliefs, that also had authority in the church as well. Uh, So in the first official response to Luther's 95 objections, which he nailed to his local church door, uh, the first official response to that, uh, one Catholic scholar wrote in that, whoever does not hold fast to the teachings of the Roman church and of the Pope as the infallible rule of faith from which even Holy Scriptures draws its strength and authority is a heretic. Right? So... So according to that, not only are the teachings of the Catholic Church on the same level as the Bible, but extraordinarily, the Bible actually derives its authority from the church. The church gives the Bible its authority, not the Bible gives, uh, has its own authority, uh, which it gives uh, and has in itself. But the Reformers uh, realised that those claims uh, that people were making in their day were not the kinds of claims that the Bible made. You, you'll search in vain in the Bible for someone to say that that's where authority lies. In fact, the Reformers realised that the Bible made claims for itself uh, which it made about nothing else. So in the passages that we read from 2 Timothy, Paul makes the extraordinary claims that the words written down in the Bible are like no other words. They're unique words. Uh, Paul says in verse 16 that they are God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. So notice, first of all, that Paul is speaking very specifically about Scripture or literally the things written down. That's, that's the, the, the term there is a, is a word which refers to things which are written The scriptures, the things written down. It's the words written down in the Bible which are breathed out by God. So in the Bible, the written downness, if I can make up that word, the written downness of the Bible is a really important idea. So in Romans uh, chapter 15, Paul says in verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So it was written in the past, it was written a long time ago, but it was written for us, to teach us, for our encouragement, for our hope. Those things written in the past don't cease to be helpful because they, were, they happened a long time ago, they were written down a long time ago and we weren't there to see and to hear them. Uh, it can be tempting, I think, for us to think of words on a page as somehow inadequate, uh, as a kind of a lesser form of religious experience, a lesser kind of spirituality. Uh, we want audible words or new words or, you know, uh, something novel. But the words which God has given to us are words written down communicating to us about things that happened a long time ago. Uh, and which other people witnessed and saw and heard. But Paul says these written down words are important and powerful. Why are they important and powerful? They're important and powerful because they're God-breathed words. Uh, they're words breathed out by God. So in the Bible, the breath of God is, uh, is the Spirit of God. 
Uh, that's a kind of a metaphor used in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying here that the Bible is the work of the Spirit. It's the words of God breathed out by the Spirit of God. These ordinary words on a page, you open the Bible and you look at them, uh, and, and these words look just the same as the words in Peppa Pig, don't they? Just a different typeface, I guess. But they look the, like the same kinds of words. But Paul is saying, the Bible is saying that these are the most important words. These are unique words like no other words. Why are they unique? Because the God of heaven and earth, the God who made us, the God who made this world, the God who sent his son to redeem us, that God has spoken to us. And in those words written down on a page, God speaks to us authoritatively. Uh, The authority of God's written words are implied by the tasks which Paul assigns to them. So he says, because all scripture is God-breathed, it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. So teaching assumes the unique authority of the Bible. If these words are suitable for teaching, then they must be true words. They must be right words. They must be reliable words. You don't teach people fiction. You teach people the truth. So too, the task of rebuking and correcting assumes the authority of the Bible. It assumes that the Bible has the authority to tell us what to do, to tell us that we're wrong. No, you're wrong there. You need to think differently about that. You need to act differently. If the Bible has the authority to correct correct us, it, it means that those words are authoritative. Uh, And the task of training in righteousness assumes that the words of the Bible are righteous words which can guide us into righteousness. These words tell us how to live. They correct errors and they train us in righteousness. So in the Bible, God speaks and we need to listen. The words in this book possess a unique authority which no other words possess. The problem that the reformers highlighted was that in their day, people were giving their own ideas and their own words the same kind of authority as the words of the Bible. And actually, even in Jesus' day, even 1,500 years before that, people were doing exactly the same thing. In in Mark chapter 7, Jesus gets into a debate with some of the religious leaders and he says to them, Uh, you guys aren't following God's words, you're following your own human traditions. He says in Mark 7, you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And the surprising thing was they didn't even know. They thought that they were following God as long as Jesus says to them, actually you're not. It's only then that they realized what was going on. And even then uh, they reject what Jesus has to say. They were putting their own ideas above God's ideas uh, and they were completely blind to the fact. And I think it's so easy for us to do. Uh, So often it happens something like this. One generation comes up with a great idea. They think to themselves, how can we serve God better? Uh, and they and they reflect on what the Bible has to say, and so they come up with an idea of they they come up with ways of, of ordering their lives. Uh, you know, so that God will be glorified and, and together they'll be built up in the faith. You know, and they, they do that. The next generation comes along and they keep doing the same things that that first generation was doing, but they just do it out of habit. 
They just, they just keep kind of turning the handle of the sausage machine, right? And, and hope that the same thing will keep happening. But they forget the reasons and the purpose for why things were even done. And then the third generation comes along uh, and uh, they make it a rule. They make it a law. If you don't do this, if you're not living like that, if you're not doing what we're doing, if you're not on board with us, you're not a Christian. It's so easy for that to happen, isn't it? It's remarkable. Uh, we come up uh, with our own ideas uh, about how we should do church, how we should run our Christian lives, what's responsible, what's not responsible, and it becomes our laws, our, our traditions, and it becomes more authoritative uh, than the Bible itself. It's important, I think, that we keep asking ourselves the question all the time, what is it that I listen to in terms of shaping my life for God? What is it that we listen to as a church in terms of shaping our lives for God? Is it what we've always done or is it the Bible? Do we listen to the Bible as the only sufficient rule of life and faith or do we listen to something else? It might not be that you don't listen to the Bible at all. In fact, I think what often happens, and even in the time of the Reformation, people were saying, we listen to the Bible... They had the Bible there, it was on the table, it was open. They were saying, look, we're following the Bible. But they were following all kinds of other things as well. They were putting it on the same level as the Bible. So it might not be that you stop listening to the Bible, but maybe what happens is that the ultimate guide for you uh, is your favourite author or your favourite preacher. Uh, it's their understanding of issues uh, that is the ultimate guide for how you should live your life. Uh, so instead of turning to the Bible to work out what God wants from you, you download that sermon or you, or you buy you know, Tim Keller's latest book. What does Keller say about how I should live at work? You know? or what does Keller say about how I should live in my marriage? It's so easy, I think, just to subtly bring something else alongside the authority of the Bible and to give our allegiance to that rather than to God. And worse, actually, we not only demand our own allegiance to that, but we demand the allegiance of others. Uh, and so we say, well, if you're not living your life how Kellis is, uh, then you, know, you can't be a Christian. If you're not living your life according to my traditions then you can't be a Christian. Uh, it's not that there's no place for knowing and understanding what others think. Uh, it's not that there's no place for historical understanding of Christian doctrine. One common misunderstanding of the idea of the Bible alone or uh, sola scriptura, as it was as called in Latin, has been called solo scriptura. That is, uh, it's a, the misunderstanding is that it's just me and my Bible. Right? That's all we need, that, that all of us live in our own little kingdoms with our own Bibles, coming up with our own ideas about what we think the Bible says. But that's not ever what anyone uh, was saying. That's not what the Reformers were saying. That's not what the Bible's saying. Uh, the Reformers and others were never trying to pretend that we can't learn about the Bible from how others have read and understood it. We need people around us. Uh, to help us to understand. We need people in history to help us understand what the cultural blinkers of our day uh, are. Now, the issue is when those things, uh, the interpretation of those around us or, or other people, when those things take controlling place and sit above the Bible rather than helping us to understand uh, and examine the Bible more closely. 
So I think that it's certainly true that we can fall into the error uh, of putting tradition above the Bible. That's still a real danger. But I suspect that for many of us, that's not actually the key danger that we face. Uh, In fact, I think that for us, in many of us in our age, the key issue is not tradition, but the but subjecting ourselves and the Bible to the reforming and transforming cultural agenda of our day. So actually in our day, tradition is a dirty word. Uh, in fact, the way that you dismiss something is by saying that it's tradition, right? That, that's, you know, in society, what you do is you go, no one believes that anymore, that's old hat. Well, actually, they probably wouldn't say that, but that's what I would say. It's old hat. Uh, it's, it's dated, right? No one, dinosaurs think that. No one does that anymore right? That's not our, our danger is not tradition. Our danger is evolutionary uh, kind of epistemology, the, the, the idea that, that knowledge moves with the times, uh, the idea that we have to reinvent ourselves constantly. And if you're not doing that, if you're not lining up with the new direction, the new norms, then you're a fool, you're an idiot. That's clear in things like the, the gay marriage debate uh, and the debate over gender identity. People are pushing the church to, read, to redefine their beliefs, not on the basis of the Bible, but on the basis of these uh, revolutionary cultural ideas. But our society's uh, ideas are not the authoritative word of God. And to build our lives on those, as Jesus says, is like building a house on sand. It, it's a bad idea. Uh, it ends in disaster. So the reformers were opposing tradition, but for us it's, it's about, uh, I think, more about cultural revolution. But the reformers were not just opposing tradition. Uh, they were also kind of opposing other movements which put the word of God in second place. And some of those still have as much currency today as well. So the, one of the other movements was uh, rationalism or kind of reason, uh, enlightenment uh, kind of reason. That is, people were putting not tradition above the Bible, but their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own reason. And it's not that we don't use reason in trying to understand the Bible, but the problem is when we come to the Bible with our own ideas, our own assumptions, which we give greater authority to than the Bible itself. So some people come to the Bible, for instance, uh, with rationalist assumptions, that is, with uh, the idea that the miraculous is impossible. So they come to the Bible with that assumption. So what happens when they do that and when they give that greater authority than the Bible? Well, what happens is that they read the Bible and they read the story of Jesus doing miracles. They read the stories of God doing great wonders in the Old Testament. They read stories about Jesus being raised to the dead. And, the, and because their own ideas, their own assumptions have greater authority than the Bible, they say, well, that can't have happened. Can't, can't happen. Uh, And so the Bible just becomes a great moral textbook, uh, devoid of any real knowledge of God and what God has done. Uh, Or some people uh, come to the Bible with their own ideas of how God and religion work. So they might think to themselves, well, I can't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. And because that assumption, that idea of God has greater authority than the Bible itself, that's their idea of God, even though God says... In the Bible, even though Jesus in the Bible talks more about hell than anybody else. It doesn't matter what Jesus says, their own assumption has greater authority than the Bible. Or they might say, I think that all religions lead to God. 
And that idea becomes their ultimate authority, even though Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We can subject the Bible to our own uh, kind of uh, rationalist assumptions. Uh, Still others at the time of the Reformation were putting their spiritual experience above the Bible. Uh, So there's nothing wrong with a lively Uh, and real experience of God in our lives. The problem is when our perception of those things becomes the basis for our lives. So instead of anchoring our decisions in what the Bible says, we anchor our decisions in the dream that we had or the thought that popped into our head or the serendipity of just that phone call coming at just that time, just when that house came onto the market. Uh, Or we might take our past experience of how God has worked in our lives And we make that the rule for how God will work in our lives in the future. Uh, So, for instance, God might have converted you in a particular way through some particular means. Uh, You know, maybe it was a a youth service or something like that. Uh, And then that becomes the rule for the way that God needs to convert everybody. Uh, So people will not be converted unless we have 10 youth services a month um, or something like that. But it's so, it's so easy for us to do that, isn't it? The way that God has worked in our lives becomes the rule for how God has to work in, the lives, in our lives in the future or in the lives of others. Uh, you know, or you might have had, God might have worked in your, your life in another way. Perhaps you've been really blessed by getting up at 2 a.m. in the morning uh, to read the Bible and pray. Uh, that's been a great work of God in your life. Uh, but then that, you make that the rule for how other people need to live. We do it with missionary biographies all the time, don't we? You know, they all got up, they all got up at 2 a.m. in the morning. They were all greatly blessed and greatly used by God. And then we read those books and those biographies and we say, well, it's no wonder that we're flagging spiritually and that we're not achieving any great things for God in our age because we're not getting up before 6 o'clock. You know? We're worldly and indolent. But there's nothing in the Bible, is there, that says that we ought to live like that. We make our religious experience uh, of greater authority than the Bible. And the problem with putting any of those things, whether it's tradition or cultural norms or reason or spirituality, on the same level as the Bible, the problem with doing that is it leaves us without any, any moorings. We're completely at sea. We don't know what's true and what isn't. Uh, so the English reformer Thomas Cranmer Uh, wrote this. He said, if there were any word of God besides the scripture, we could never be certain of God's word. And if we'd be uncertain of God's word, the devil might bring in among us a new word, a new doctrine, a new faith, a new church, a new God, yea, himself to be God. If the church and the Christian faith did not stay itself upon the word of God certain as upon a sure and strong foundation, no man could know whether he had a right faith and whether he were in the true church of Christ or in the synagogue of Satan. Unless the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and the Bible alone is the authoritative word of God, we have no foundation. And we can't know truth from error. So the words written down for us in the Bible are God's authoritative words. They're breathed out by God's Spirit. They're true and they have authority. But the words of God in the Bible are not just authoritative, they're also God's sufficient words. So Paul outlines that clearly here in 2 Timothy 3. He says in verse 14, But as to you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith 
in Christ Jesus. In the first place, Paul says, the scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation. Paul's here referring primarily to the Old Testament scriptures. uh, And he says, even those things that were written down before the coming of Christ, even those are able to make us wise for salvation when we see them through the lens of faith in Jesus Christ. And if those things, if those things written are kind of in shadow, Uh, And in type, if those things were able to make people wise for salvation, then how much more are the things written down since then in the New Testament? How much more able are they to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus? Paul's point is that the Scriptures alone are sufficient to equip us with the knowledge of salvation. What do I need to do to be saved? Well, the Bible can tell you. The Bible can make you wise for salvation. The Bible introduces us to Jesus. Uh, The the Bible is God's words about Christ. The Bible is Christ's words about the Father. Uh, The Bible is the Spirit's words about the Father and the Son. They're words which explain the gospel, that by trusting in Jesus alone and his death and his resurrection, we're reconciled to God. Uh, And we're made new by the Holy Spirit. And we wait in eager expectation for that day when the world will be renewed and we'll be saved to be with God for eternity. There is no other book, uh, there's no other thing, no other piece of knowledge that we need uh, to be saved which is not contained in the Bible. Uh, there's, no, there's no extra revelation, there's no secret truth that needs to be revealed to us. We need no other words to know and understand the gospel and to be saved other than what is in this book. Uh, If you have this book and only this book, you have enough to know Christ and be saved. In fact, I don't know about you, but I've heard stories of people in other countries who've come across a lost page of the Bible. You know, picked uh, picked up a page of the Bible that's been left at the side of the road or something like that. One page of the Bible, enough for them to come to know uh, and love Christ. It's extraordinary, isn't it? One page. Uh, The Bible is able to make us wise for salvation. But Paul also says in verse 16, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is not only sufficient to make us wise for salvation, it also gives us uh, all that we need need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, Paul says that the spirit empowered and spirit breathed words in the Bible are not dead words, but Useful and powerful words. Uh, The writer of Hebrews describes them as living and active, as sharper than a double-edged sword. They're not dead words on a page, but but powerful words. And in particular, he says that the Bible's words can equip us for every good work, for every good work. And if the Bible can equip us for every good work, then there's no work that God calls us to do for which the Bible can't equip us. And Paul says that the Bible can thoroughly equip us for every good work. It's not just kind of, uh, you know, it's not like one of those training courses that you go to where you sit down for five days, it's nine to five, and you get to the end and you think, wow, I don't even know if I've learned anything from this. Uh, The Bible is not like that. He says, no, the Bible can thoroughly equip us for every good work. And if the Bible can thoroughly equip us for every good work, then there's nothing extra that we need in order to be equipped for a life Uh, of godliness. In the time of the Reformation, the general teaching was essentially that you needed everything else but the Bible in order to be thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. Uh, You needed a whole range of sacraments that you didn't understand. You needed to go to church services that were in a language that you didn't know. Uh, You needed the ritual and the symbolism of the church. You never needed to know what any of those things meant. They never needed to make sense. They just worked kind of like magic, right? They They bypassed your brain and did you good. But the reformers rightly picked up on the idea that what the Bible says about itself is different. It's the Bible, the Bible which can thoroughly equip us for every good work. And it's by teaching. That is the means by which we grow is by understanding, by coming to understand new things. It's by correcting, it's by changing what we think. It's by rebuking, it's by telling us sometimes that we're living the wrong way and that we need to change things. And it's by training, training with words and ideas and concepts and commands and truths. You know, you go to the gym uh, and, you, and, you, and you do weights, cut the, 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 the weapons, if you like, of exercise are weights and rowing machines and, you know, all those kinds of things. The, the training tools, the weapons of our training is the Bible. It's these words which can thoroughly equip us uh, for every good work. Uh, If you want to be trained to live the Christian life, your best resource is the Bible. It's a completely sufficient resource. It's the only resource authored by God. Every other book is authored by just human authors. But this book is breathed out by God's Spirit and comes with the guarantee and authority uh, of God's Spirit. A friend of mine uh, used the illustration once, of, uh, of going into a Christian bookstore and, uh, and, and saying to the person who works there, look, I've just been to a Christian conference uh, and I've been challenged. I need to grow in knowing and loving God. Do you have any books on knowing and loving God? Um, the guy in the bookstore says, how about the Bible? Uh, it's useful for training, equipping, correcting, uh, now, do you have anything? Do you have anything by Piper or Carson? Maybe I, you know, I, I have heard their books are good. Yeah, we've got some of those. But we've also got the Bible. It's written by God. He's a notable author. Um, it's it's so easy for us, isn't it, to elevate the works of others uh, above the level of the Bible? It's not to say that that uh, that Christian books are not helpful. Uh, but we need to make sure that we're anchored in the Bible. In fact, I went into Kurong a number of years ago. We, one of the guy who used to manage the store came to our came to our church for a while, and uh, uh, and I went in. and I said, Victor, I need to buy a book for someone in my church. I said, Do you have any ideas what I should get? And he said, How about the Bible? And I said, You know, I have a friend. He's never going to believe that you just said that. <laughs> but listen, listen to these words by Thomas Cranmer again. Another quote from Cranmer. And there is nothing that so much strengthens our faith and trust in God that so much keeps up innocence and pureness of heart and also of outward godly life and conversation as continual reading and recording of God's word. For that thing which by continual use of reading of Holy Scripture and diligent searching of the same is deeply printed and graven in the heart and at length turns almost into nature. What's Cranmer saying? He's saying that when we read the Bible, it changes us. It changes us sometimes below the level of our consciousness. Its words are deeply printed, inscribed on our heart by the Holy Spirit. 
And at length, those words are not just words in our heads, but they change who we are. They change our nature. They change us to be like Christ. These words are God's powerful words, God's sufficient words to train us uh, in righteousness. But the issues surrounding uh, the Bible which surfaced during the Reformation were not just uh, about authority and sufficiency. Another key issue was clarity. And although Paul doesn't address that here in this passage, it's worth considering, I think, because it's such an important issue for us still today. At the time of the Reformation, there was a general assumption that ordinary people, uh, people who weren't trained ministers, were too stupid to understand the Bible. Uh, And worse, they couldn't be trusted to understand the Bible correctly, so it was best just to kind of keep the Bible out of their hands. As a result, the Bible was left in Latin uh, when people couldn't understand Latin. Uh, There was no real effort to explain the Bible to people. Instead, the people were given symbols and sacraments. They were given statues. They were given relics of saints. They were given uh, kind of pictures of the cross. Uh, They were given stained glass windows. They were given statues of Mary. And the idea was that all those things would be substitutes for the complicated uh, words of God. But the Bible is not only authoritative and sufficient, it's also clear. That's because the same Spirit who breathed out the words of God into the Bible is also the same Spirit who takes those words and makes, makes them make sense to us. Uh, So if you've got your Bible open in front of you, turn back a few books to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Uh, And Paul is talking all about this. He's talking about how the Spirit makes, uh, the wisdom of God makes sense to us. And he says in chapter 2 verse 11, For who knows a person's thought except except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Paul's saying... uh, Paul's saying, no one knows what's in somebody's head except the person themselves. And how many of us know that experience of trying to communicate something to someone and we just can't get the words out? You know, you never know when you, when you talk to someone, you never know whether what's in your head is what ends up in their head, head at the other end, right? I mean, I'm sure all of you who are married are going, yes, that is exactly right. Uh, no matter how hard you try, there is this communication gap, isn't there? That we... Sometimes we can't put into words what we mean, and sometimes the words that we use are not received in the way that we expect expect them to be received. But Paul is saying that when God communicates to us, it's not like that. Uh, God's words are not just put out there, and we have to make sense of them on our own. But actually, God's Spirit, God's own mind, God's Spirit, takes His words and makes them understandable to us. And he makes us understand them in the way that he wants us to. Uh, it's no wonder that the Bible can be hard to understand at times. That's because we're trying to understand the mind of God. And God's a bit cleverer than most of us. Uh, but God says that actually his mind is not inaccessible to us because his spirit takes the thoughts of his mind and through his words makes his 
mind uh, understandable. He teaches us spiritual realities, Paul says, in spirit-taught words. Now, that doesn't mean that all parts of the Bible are equally clear. Uh, You might have heard the saying, the Bible is shallow enough for a baby to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. The Bible has both, right? Uh, I came across this recently in Augustine, uh, who said, I had too much conceit to accept their simplicity. He's talking about the Bible. I had too much conceit to accept their simplicity and not enough insight to penetrate their depths. He was too proud to understand the simplicity of the Bible and not clever enough to understand the depths of the Bible. He says, it's surely true that as the child grows, the book grows with him. Isn't that beautiful? When we come to the Bible, we come as a child and and God helps us to understand. But as we grow in the Christian life, the book grows, the Bible grows with us uh, and we begin to understand its depths. Uh, It doesn't mean that all parts of the Bible are equally clear, but it does mean that all that we need for life and godliness, all that we need for salvation, God makes clear to us. And it doesn't mean that everything is clear straight away. It's not as though you open the Bible and your your eyes fall on words and all of a sudden it makes sense to you. Uh, Paul, what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, assumes that we need to continually learn. We need to keep being taught, corrected, rebuked. It's a process. But God promises that through that, God will make himself clear to us. Calvin wrote in typical frankness, It is most stupid not to wonder the word of God because he has lowered himself to our level of ignorance. When we find God prattling to us in the Bible in an uncultivated and vulgar style, let us remember that he does it for our sake. God comes to us at our level and speaks to us so that we can understand. Well, that idea of the clarity of the Bible had a huge impact uh, on the church and the Christians of, that, of the Reformation period, and it's had a huge impact on us. We live in light of that heritage. It was that idea of the clarity of the Bible that led people to translate the Bible into, into the language of, of ordinary people. It was that idea of the clarity of the Bible that, that led William Tyndale to say to one of the ministers of his day, well, if I live long enough, I'm going to make the guy who you know, pulls the plough, the kid who's you know, pulling the plough around the field, I'm going to make him know more about the Bible than you because I'm going to put the Bible in his hands. And it was that conviction about the clarity of the Bible that actually led pastors of the day to begin to explain the Bible, to begin to preach in sermons and lectures. Calvin spent a huge amount of his time teaching the Bible. He did it every day of the week. Can you imagine that? It's extraordinary, isn't it? For hours every day, people would come to his church and they would hear the Bible explained. But that's because Calvin believed that the Bible was clear. Uh, A failure to believe in the clarity of the Bible may not lead us to, to forsake its authority and its sufficiency, but a failure to believe in the clarity of the Bible will mean that we won't use the Bible in our lives and in our ministries. So we might be sitting here thinking to ourselves, well, I believe that the Bible is where we know God and I believe that the Bible is a sufficient word of God. But if you don't believe that the Bible is clear, then you won't use it. You'll have it on your shelf, but you'll never open it. If you don't believe in the clarity of the Bible, then you won't read it with your children. Uh, you'll just stick with the Veggie Tales movies uh, and with the children's storybook Bibles, which are great, great resources. 
But if you don't believe in the clarity of the Bible, you never actually use the Bible itself. The real Bible is the real words of God, and those words are clear. And by God's power, those words are sufficient and authoritative. And if we don't believe in the clarity of the Bible, then we won't use the Bible in our evangelism. But actually, the Bible is the most powerful tool that we have in our evangelism. When we open the Bible with someone who isn't a Christian, they hear God speak. They hear God's spirit-breathed words, and God can use those words to make himself plain to that person. One of the best things that you can do with someone who isn't a Christian is to offer to sit down with them and read through the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John, and then just read through it and talk about it. What didn't you understand? What struck you? What do you like about the Jesus that you see here? Uh, I have a, a friend uh, who's such, you know, one of those people who just, you feel rebuked whenever you sit down with them, uh, in a good way. Uh, and he is just so convinced of the clarity and the power of the Bible. And every person he meets with, he does this. He says, can I read the Bible with you? And as I look at him and his ministry and his life, I see people being converted and I see people growing in their faith. And he's not doing anything more clever than reading the Bible with people. If we don't believe in the clarity of the Bible, we won't use the Bible in our evangelism. And if we don't believe in the clarity of the Bible, we won't use it in our growth groups. We'll read everybody else's books. We'll watch everybody else's growth group studies, but we won't actually open the Bible and use it. Because we'll think that the Bible is too hard for us and too hard for others. We need to believe that God's Spirit is in the business of taking his breathed out words and making them plain to us. Well, why is the idea of the Bible alone, that Reformation idea, why is that idea still important for us 500 years later? It's important because the Bible says that it's important. Because the Bible is the sole authoritative, sufficient and clear word of God. The Bible is God's breathed out words that are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God's breathed out words which are able to thoroughly equip us for every good work. And God's clear words which the Spirit uses to make the mind of God clear to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak in your word, that you have spoken in the past through the prophets in many and various ways, that you have spoken through your Son, Jesus Christ, and that those words were written down, written down for us on whom has come the end of the ages written down for us so that we might be taught, that we might be made wise for salvation, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you that those words were written down and that in them you still speak. Thank you that they are not dead words on a page, but they are living and powerful words made powerful by your Holy Spirit. Lord, if we have put other things uh, on the same level as the Bible, we pray that you would forgive us for that. We pray that you would reveal those things to us, those areas in which we've made rules and traditions or adopted things which are not uh, part of your word. Lord, make those things known to us and help us to repent of that and to be anchored solely in the word of Christ as on a sure and firm foundation. And Lord, help us 
to believe that your word is sufficient, that it's all that we need for life and godliness. And Lord, help us to believe that your word is clear and believing that it's clear to use it, to use it in our own lives and to use it in our ministry to others. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.